Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So over the last 20-some years, I've been involved in a thing called the College of Prayer. And over the course of our time together in the College of Prayer, I've helped to write a curriculum called uh, Lord Teach Us to Pray, how to pray individually, how to pray as a family, how to pray as a church. And this curriculum has actually gone all over the world. There are millions studying this in China right now, millions in India who are studying this curriculum right now. And so we're going to get together on December the 5th. We're going to have a night, again, of worship, testimonies, prayer together. The international president of the College of Prayer will be here with us, Fred Hartley. It'll be a great night. If you come to both nights, after the second night, you will be glowing like Moses <laughs> with the glory of God, and we'll have to veil your face. But, uh, but uh, these are two nights. They're two great opportunities. God is lifting up both of these things. Prayer is moving out internationally in a major way. And God is lifting up. He wants to save those who are addicted and He wants to support the families that have been devastated by it. So please be a part of that with us. Now, we're turning our attention as we head towards uh, Christmas. We're turning our attention to Jesus' genealogy. And in His genealogy, there there are those that are called the mothers of Jesus. And we're going to look at these five unlikely heroes. Uh, the first one that we're going to look at is a woman by the name of Tamar. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 38. We're going re- to read some, a lengthy passage. I'm going to read it to you. You read along silently, quietly uh, at your seat there. And, uh, and we'll get through this. It's kind of a long passage, but I'm going to read it to you. Here's God's word. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go in to your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Oh, I forgot to tell you, it's not a happy story. (laughs) Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went to Temna to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hira, the Adullamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Temna to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Temna. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage." When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, it's also sex, rock, drugs, and rock and roll, too. Uh, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet 
and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and he went in to her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Sheila. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. So this is a strange, sordid, odd story that's in the Bible. And one of the things I'd like you to understand about this message, but also about reading the Scriptures itself, is you can't simply read the Bible and go, these are good, moral, inspirational stories. Go and do likewise. <laughs> you do not want your daughters to act like Tamar or your sons like Judah. The Bible has to be read, and it has to be read in a way to understand what God is up to and what the heart of God is for His people. And so one of the things that we see here is this is a story of moral failure in, in the life of one of the key figures, one of the, the biggest of the biggies in the Bible, a man by the name of Judah. Judah is a moral failure in this story. But at the same time, what you see in the midst of this story is a son who is born whose name is Perez. Now, many of you thought he was the first Hispanic in the Bible. Yeah. You were pretty certain, see? Even, even there. Now, Perez is a Hebrew word which means breakthrough. So this story is about how do you break through. This story is about spiritual breakthroughs. It's about personal breakthroughs. It's about how God gives grace to flawed people. How incredibly flawed people can be uplifted, given a breakthrough by the grace of God. Now, one of the things you have to understand is if you're a good person, you don't need grace. Grace is only for people who realize they're broken. Grace is only for people who know they're flawed. And so this will only be important to you, this story, if you recognize how broken, how spiritually bankrupt, how needy you are. Because otherwise, you're just you're going to get what you deserve, which is justice, in a sense. But if you recognize you want grace, then this is a breakthrough story for you. As a matter of fact, there are three breakthroughs in this, in this story. The first is Tamar has to make her own breakthrough. And then the second is Judah experiences an amazing spiritual breakthrough. And then Perez himself, his name means breakthrough. So let's unpack this a little bit together. So here we have a Canaanite woman. Her name is Tamar. She marries the oldest son of Judah. He is so wicked that God does the earth a favor and takes him away. 
Then his younger brother, because of the way that things were in the customs and the law, the younger brother has to step up and marry the wife of his older brother because she's now a widow. And so he's even more wicked than his older brother. And God says, let's do the earth a favor and takes him off the face of the earth. So now this woman, Tamar, is twice widowed. The third son is now in line for husband. But he's probably 11 years old at this point. And so Judah says, I, I, let's wait a while. I'll, I'll let him marry you. But right now you go home to your father which in that time and in that custom, that is a terrible, awful thing to have to do. To go back to the household of your father after the dowry's been taken care of. After, in reality, by law, the father-in-law is now responsible for Tamar, not the father. As a matter of fact, usually the father was trying to get rid of the responsibility. And so now he, uh, Judah makes Tamar go back to her father's household. Now, I think one thing that's probably important for you to understand is that Tamar was probably 14 years old when she got married. So now she's probably 19 years old. Does that change the story a little bit for you? I think it changes it. To think this is a teenager who is now dealing with being a widow twice over and now is having to deal with the fact that the one who is supposed to be responsible for her, the one who's supposed to make her life secure, is lying to her. Because the scripture says that though Judas said to Tamar, go back until he gets older, he is privately saying to everyone else, Tamar is a curse. Tamar is the reason my sons are dead. I'm not going to give him to Sheila, even though he named her a girl's name, and uh, um, I'm not going to give him to Sheila and, and have what happened to the other two happen to my third son. Now, it's important that you understand he is sowing seeds that this is a cursed woman. He is sowing seeds that it's not his fault, it's her fault. All right, do you get that? See, he's being incredibly dishonest, but he's not... He's not owning his own dysfunctional family culture. Think back to the culture that Judah comes from. Judah is one of the sons of Jacob. Now, Judah is a son of Leah. Now, when you look at, when you look at the Bible, one of the reasons I trust the Bible is because it never hides the messiness. You would not put a single family in the Old Testament on focus on the family. <laughs> except to say what not to do. Because what happens here is Jacob is covenantally obligated to be the husband of Leah, but he doesn't love Leah. He loves Rachel. And so Jacob loves the sons of the one he loves and has almost nothing to do with and does not love or give fatherly affection to the sons of the woman he does not love. And so Judah has never received the father's love. He has never been the apple of his father's eye. But Jacob loved Rachel's son, Joseph. And, and if you do a little psychological study, you'll realize that in a family where there's a favorite, it's poison. And this family has always played favorites. Jacob was the favorite of his mother. 
Esau, his twin brother, was the favorite of his father. So the household has always been dysfunctional. It's always been an issue. And some people will say to me quite often, they'll say, there's no such thing as generational sin or generational curses. But you see in the scripture that what happens in one generation is magnified and gets even worse in the next generation. You see, where Esau and, and, and Jacob had these issues, now Judah and all his brothers have tremendous anger and bitterness and poison because of the favoritism that's being shown towards Joseph. You know the coat of many colors, right? That's a coat of bitterness. It's a coat of poison in the midst. And so Judah does not want to take responsibility for how bad a father he has been. Because you see, it wasn't Tamar who corrupted his sons. It was the family that corrupted his sons. It was the father who was irresponsible towards his sons. So the scripture is very interesting here because it, it shows Tamar, this 19-year-old widow, to be incredibly decisive in making her own breakthrough. So it says that even the way the Hebrew is stated is so powerful. She, she hears he's coming to Timnah, so she immediately takes off her widow's garments and she puts on veils and she goes and positions herself in a way that would clearly mark her as a prostitute. No mistaking what she's up to here. And when she uh, contracts with him for sex, she makes clear that he has to give a guarantee of payment. And, and, the, and, and the Bible's really clear what this guarantee means and what it's about. It's his signet ring. He does all his business with this. This is how he marks his contracts. There's a cord that attaches it to his staff. In other words, the Bible is saying this, this mistreatment of Tamar is not because she's too expensive or not because Judah doesn't have the wealth to take care of her. It's because he's chosen not to. He's a wealthy man. He's a man of means. These symbols are the symbols of a man of means. Are you tracking with me in that? In some ways, one commentator said that if he left this behind, it's basically the equivalent of leaving your wallet with someone. And so, Tamar, the Bible says here, is going after justice. It's a very nuanced approach to this whole story. But the Bible is explaining this in this very unusual way. And Tamar is revealing a double standard. She's exposing the injustice in the society. And the Bible is, is allowing, it's not that it commends her for actions, but it also is saying there is a reason behind what she's doing. As a matter of fact, the reasons are very clear in this. Judah, according to these, these narratives, Judah gets to have sex with whoever he wants to. And he gets to have sex with basically no punishment or repercussions whatsoever. But as soon as he finds out she has been immoral, he is incensed. He can do whatever he wants to do. Now, the other, the other reason I know this is because you think about what she did. She knew his patterns so well that she knew exactly where to be. And she knew exactly what he would do when he saw her. So he is well known for his sexual immorality. Her strategy depends on his patterns. You tracking with me on that? 
So then, the minute he hears that she has acted immorally, he wants full judgment against her. Now, this is, this is where many times as a fast reading of the Bible, you miss certain things. Here's what the Scripture is really saying here. It's not saying, because the, clear is, the Scripture is very clear that sex is reserved for marriage. It is not saying that this is okay. But it is saying that there is a deeper issue. There is a deeper issue. And here's where the Bible comes forth in such clarity. In many ways, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to understand the heart of God. And the heart of God is for those who are not protected. The heart of God is for those who are vulnerable. And in the Scriptures, vulnerability is clearly seen in widowhood. In being a widow. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 146, the psalmist speaks out for God's heart for the widow, that He wants to take care of the widow and He wants His people to take care of the widow. Jeremiah the prophet speaks condemnation on a society that does not take care of those who are vulnerable, who have lost their husbands. And then Isaiah starts his ministry and his first prophetic decree, his dynamic confrontation with the society is you have not taken care of the widows and the orphans. What does this mean? Well, it means something very, very specific. It means something very important. First, let's understand the context of every society. Is In every society, there are these requirements that you have to live up to for people to think you have functionality. There are, there are requirements that every society says you're included and you're excluded on the basis of these particular requirements. There are requirements that give you well-being. There are requirements that give you some status or dignity. Well, in the Old Testament, those requirements were you had to have a spouse and you had to have children. If you didn't have a spouse and you didn't have children, you were cursed of God. You were excluded by society. And, and, and this was the natural order of things. And what does the prophet speak of the heart of God? God says, but I include them. But I see dignity in them. As a matter of fact, the major moves of God in the Old Testament are usually through barren women. Sarah, barren until she was 90 years old. Hannah, Hannah barren, weeping before the Lord until he gives her Samuel. Many times, it was barrenness in the womb that, that was proclaiming that God was about to do something major among His people. Because God's heart is different from our heart. His ways are different from our ways. He is for the underdog. He is for the underserved. And so here, what we, what we see in this is that when God sees people who have resources... But don't aid those who do not. He calls it injustice. Are you hearing me? Let me make this. For me, this is a rather personal thing. Because I'm, I, as I'm studying this, this passage, I'm remembering where I grew up. And where I grew up, the church was almost so adamant. You can't have any sexual immorality. You can't have any sexual impurity. So much so that people felt condemned just for having natural sexual desires. That, that it was almost like you were dirty, you were unclean. And I've, over the years of counseling people, 
I've had so many people say to me, I could never be used of God because I, I have this sexual past. I, could, I have, I, in worship, I'll have images in my head and I'll hear a voice say, how can you be a Christian and have those kind of images in your head? And what, what, at least in my experience, I'm just speaking personally, in my experience is that many times the church has so pounded on this issue while utterly neglecting the very heart of God that says the bigger issue is the hatred that you have for other people. I grew up in a church that spoke and preached sexual purity and hated anybody else that had a color of skin different than ours. That it was fine and dandy to just speak out against immorality, but nobody ever touched racism. As a matter of fact, it was, it was common practice to be a racist in the church I grew up in. Here, this scripture is so clear. God is more concerned about social justice than the fact that you've slipped in your purity. Are you, are you at least tracking with me on this? That many of us have felt ourselves utterly disqualified because we struggle sexually, but we can absolutely hate anybody that's different from us. And look on ourselves as better than someone else. And yet, the teaching of the Old Testament and the teaching friends of Tamar is that God has a heart for justice, social justice, equality, treatment that's fair. Especially when you have resources and you're unwilling to aid those who do not. In the end, Judah is the mouthpiece of God's... God's uh, Judgment and wisdom here. He says, Tamar, you are more righteous than I. But please understand, I am not giving her a pass. The Bible doesn't give her a pass. It's incredibly nuanced. He doesn't say, Tamar, you are innocent. But he does say, you are more righteous than me. See, that's a, that's a difference there in all of this. In other words, she has done wrong. There is a sexual immorality that is real here. Bible's really clear. Sex is reserved for covenantal marriage. But at the same time, he's saying what you have exposed is that you are more righteous than I am. You are more for justice than me. He, he talks about the Sadek here. And if you, if you think this is an isolated experience, it is not. In Hosea chapter 4, Hosea, speaking to the people of God, reckons back and recalls to them the whole situation with Tamar. And he says something unbelievable in verse 13 and 14. He says, God will not hold your daughters responsible when they commit adultery and when they play pro the prostitute because you, the nation, have played the prostitute with other gods. And what he's saying is, he, he's saying there, I want you to remember Tamar and Judah. And I want you to remember that consequences come when the leaders, when those who are in charge do not seek after justice, seek after righteousness with their whole hearts. That it leads the entire nation into idolatry, which is a form of prostitution. Are you hearing me? So in other words, it's so interesting that there are people who over the years have focused in such a major way on one area of sin while utterly being blind to the fact that the heart of God is for social justice. Tamar has to make her own breakthrough because her own father-in-law will not do it for her.
But Judah has a breakthrough himself. Now, Tamar had to make one, but Judah, Judah experiences a major breakthrough. Now, you've got to understand the story to understand his breakthrough. So what does he do? As soon as he hears that Tamar is pregnant, he goes, burn her. You know, that, that's pretty severe, right? I mean, that's, that's ultimate kind of punishment. And what you see from that is he's filled with hate. Now, I want to give you a, a picture of what's going on here. See, he needed to believe that it was somebody else's fault. He needed to believe that it wasn't his responsibility as a father for the wickedness in his sons. He wanted someone else to be the scapegoat. He wanted someone else to blame. And though he's angry with her, he's incredibly happy. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done this before. But you know people who are like this, I'm sure. Where all of a sudden it's just so great. Oh, see, they failed. And you start rejoicing in their failure because something about them made you feel bad about yourself. Oh, isn't it good? Look at that. People rejoice when televangelists fall in sexual immorality. People get all excited when people are caught. Oh, see, I knew something was wrong with them. But the problem is the Scripture is saying... All this is happening so that Judah has to recognize Judah. He's hiding his own responsibility. He's self-justifying. He's self-deceiving. Well, what does this tell us? Well, that's, here is this guy, Judah, who is one of the patriarchs, one of the covenantal family of God, and there's something so evil in him and something so unjust that he's willing to go to the very brink of disaster in order to get his anger out on his daughter-in-law. Now, I, I want you to see the wisdom of God here. It's such an important thing just in terms of being wise. Do you know, if Judah carries out what his inclination is here, he will either have to live the rest of his life with the lie saying, she deserved this. I just did what was right. Or he will realize he was wrong. And then he'll have to live the rest of his life with regret. Either way, it is a tortured life. Do you understand? God, in his wisdom and love for Judah, is not going to let him live a lie for the rest of his life. He has brought Tamar into his life to reveal Judah's deception and his self-deception. Now, here's the problem, friends. Judah is one of the greatest people in all the Bible. And he's this evil. You don't have a chance. If he's this bad, you're this bad. So what the message really is here is our capacity for self-deception is great. So they're dragging Tamar to the fire. He's not doing it himself. Isn't that funny? He doesn't punish her himself. He sends other people to do it for him. So they're dragging her to the fire and she peels, pulls out her, his signet ring and his cord and his staff. And she goes, do you recognize this? The man who gave this to me. See, what she's doing is she's forcing Judah to recognize Judah. She's forcing him to see who he really is. 
See, in his, in his legalism, in his self-righteousness, he's blinded and he just wants to kill her. But then that cord comes out and the staff comes out and the ring comes out. And it's him. He's the guy. Well, at that moment, we have this wonderful beginning of a breakthrough. Because he does recognize himself. Instead of going over the edge into the abyss, he wakes up. He wakes up. And, and friends, the point of this story is this. You've got to be born again. Amen. You just can't just become a better you. I mean, Judah's as good as they get in the Old Testament. Do you understand? He's of the covenant family. If any of, any of you have Jewish descent, do you know where the word Jewish comes from? It comes from Judah. It was a shortening of Judah to call someone a Jew. He is the name of an entire ethnicity. Everyone who traces their lineage back that is Jewish traces it back to Judah. No one knew more about God in the whole world than Judah and his family. Okay? Judah is the father of David. Judah is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he had to be born again. <laughs> he had to be awakened. He had to be spiritually transformed. Because if all you are is you, you have no ability to be in right relationship with God. You can't have your life rooted in this world and be with Him in His world. You have to have your roots in heaven and you have to have a new beginning. <laughs> At that moment, you realize that most of us, we can't really see ourselves unless we have a Tamar in our lives. Judah could not see how wretched he was without a Tamar. In his life. So, what others intended for evil, God intended for good. Are you tracking with me on this? Well, in a way, then, personal spiritual formation can be under, or a personal spiritual awakening can be understood in this story. And one of the aspects of this spiritual awakening is you begin to realize that the people you formerly despised are not worse than you, you're actually just as bad as they are. And it's so fascinating to me that over the years people say to me, you Christians think you're better than everybody else. I go, no, we think we're just as bad as everybody else. The, 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 the issue of a church that thinks itself better than anybody else is a church that's never had a spiritual awakening. It's a religious Christianity, but not a real Christianity. Without that awakening that says, I am so evil, Christ had to die for me. Without that awakening, then there is no difference. It's just wasted religion. Now, in a way, what we see is that the issue of lost sheep is a serious issue. This is the analogy that Isaiah says. He says, all we like sheep have turned astray. Each of us has gone our own way. And if you study anything about lost sheep, you'll begin to realize they don't want to come back. They, they don't want to go back to the sheepfold. They don't want to follow the shepherd. And so the journey back to the fold, the journey back with the shepherd is often a very painful experience. The shepherd sometimes even has to break their legs so they won't run away again. Now, in order for a breakthrough, sometimes there has to be a break. 
And so what you see in Judah's journey is you see how he is personally, spiritually transformed, but it's a breaking, it's a pressing that happens to him. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of this whole story, is how God weaves together for the journey of discovery. Now, in chapter 37, what you see is that this jealousy, this envy, this hatred that Judah had, he shared with his brothers, all sons of Leah. See, Leah was the not-loved wife, but she gave Jacob four strong sons, but Jacob didn't care. Jacob saw them as nothing more than just livestock or property. They were just to take care of things. They were just to run the business and do all of these kind of things, but they were not given the fatherly love and affection. And so Judah and his brothers had had enough, especially when Joseph got older and he seemed arrogant to them and he seemed just so spoiled to them and they hated him. And so they chose and decided they were going to kill him. Then they changed their plan and they decided they would sell him into slavery. And when they, when they sold him off, they took that robe from him. They took that coat of many colors and they covered it in blood and they took it to Jacob and they said to Jacob, do you recognize this? And the Hebrew there is, is this word, hakar na. And one of the rabbinical scholars in the Middle Ages said, it was inevitable that the same Judah who took the robe with blood on it to Jacob and said hakar na would then have Tamar bring the seal and the staff and the ring and say hakar na. Do you recognize this? But it doesn't stop there because God isn't finished. So you know what happens is a famine comes in the land and they can't eat. And Jacob sends the brothers to Egypt where there's food. And Joseph is there. He's risen to the second in command because he has been interpreting the dream of the famine and he's preparing for it. Some 14 years have passed or more since they last saw him. So they don't recognize Joseph. He looks like an Egyptian. They don't expect to see their brother whatsoever. So he veils himself from them, makes sure that they don't recognize him because he doesn't know how will they treat him now. And what you see is this experience with Tamar has changed Judah. Because when Joseph says, you must give your brother Benjamin as a ransom or I will not let this go. I will not give you what you need unless you give me your brother Benjamin. Who is it that stands up and says, no, that would crush our father. Take me. Let me be a ransom. Let me be in his place. Our father loves Benjamin. Don't take him from our father. It would kill him. Take me. And then Joseph goes, hakar na. Do you recognize me? I'm Joseph, your brother. Isn't that powerful? You see, what happened is God had made Judah a worthy man through whom he could now ransom all of you and all of us through his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hucker not, do you recognize me? What a powerful thing, right? An awesome moment that is. Now, we'll finish with this. So Tamar has one more breakthrough for us. If you think about it, how in the world does this woman get in the lineage of Jesus? 
She's not a wife. She's not the kind of mother you would expect. She's got two sons by Judah, who's not her husband, through an event that's clearly cult prostitution. And yet, in the line, there comes a breakthrough. A boy named Perez. And through Perez, David is born. Through Perez, Jesus is born. What an amazing, and she names him Breakthrough. What an awesome word. Well, basically, if you understand the story, the breakthrough is this. Judah said, in spite of all your sin, Tamar, you are righteous. Since he had sinned worse, he could cover her sin. But through Jesus, the descendant of Perez, the breakthrough, Jesus says, in spite of all your sin, you are righteous because I took the fire for you. I took the punishment for you. Jesus chose to be treated as you deserve so that now you are treated as he deserves. See, Judah wanted to punish Tamar for his own sins and for the sins of his sons. Jesus chose to take the punishment that you deserve on himself. This is why I say to you, Hakurna, do you recognize him? Your Savior? your breakthrough, you must be born again. It can't just be a better version of you. It has to be a new you. Will you stand with me? Can you hear me this morning? What a story, right? Would you close your eyes with me? I, I just really feel power and anointing on that phrase, do you, do you recognize me? I mean, it's really a couple of things. Do you recognize yourself? That you're in a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you recognize what you've done will never, will never be enough to make you right with God? As a matter of fact, even if, even if what you've done is pretty good, all you would get is what you deserve. What's being offered to you is something you do not deserve. Something you can never earn. A, not only a right standing with God, but full acceptance as a daughter and as a son of God. I mean, think about that. why in the world is Perez in the covenantal line except for the grace of God? He wasn't even the first one out of the womb. But he had the breakthrough. I just have sensed today the Lord wants to give you the breakthrough. Spiritual, personal awakening, recognizing yourself, recognizing Him. If it makes sense to you, even if you've done it before, would you say these words with me? Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus I need to be born again. It's not enough to be a better me. I want to be a new me. I receive, I receive by faith, by faith you, as my you as my breakthrough. I receive your salvation, I receive your forgiveness, salvation. Of forgiveness of sins, inclusion into the kingdom, inclusion into the family. I know these are my words, but if they mean something to you, it really means the Father 
is moving in your heart. Remember I said in in every society there's this need for well-being, there's a need for functionality, there's a need for dignity, there's a need for inclusion. Through the finished work of Jesus, you are made righteous. You're given dignity of sons and daughters. You're made friends of God. Through the finished work of Jesus, you are included in something you never should have been included in. You become sons and daughters of the Most High God. And you know what? No one can take that away from you. You are now in the genealogy of Jesus forever. Lord, we seal what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.